0: Hey guys, welcome back. I am Joshua Sterba, and you're listening to Acts of 20, Love and Fate, Episode 7. This is the podcast that discusses all sorts of things spiritual, cerebral, and scientific. This episode, we are talking about general advice over COVID-19, misconceptions and myths, and facts, and what you can do while you're surviving under the quarantine. So there are a lot of questions uh, involved in this episode as you could probably figure that out. There are many myths and misconceptions I would like to cover, uh, address, especially as these things are perpetuated over the internet very quickly uh, because they're kind of designed to sound alarming or get you to uh, instill mistrust into the wrong authorities, in my opinion. Uh, But before we get into the misconceptions and myths, let's just go over the basics. So what is COVID-19? Covid-19, or coronavirus disease, is an infectious disease caused by a newly discovered coronavirus. So I just read that off of the World Health Organization's website, and a coronavirus is basically like a like a like a specialized defined group of viruses. So coronaviruses aren't necessarily new, but this particular strain is, um, and it's an upper respiratory tract infection kind of thing. So when you get sick, you end up coughing a lot, and that's actually also, how it spreads through the droplets that you are that's coming from your upper respiratory tract. Those who are infected by COVID-19 will experience respiratory distress, and if it's severe enough, they will not survive without treatment, usually some sort of ventilator. Older people, people who are sick, have cold morbidities or their immune system is suppressed, or they have some sort of cardiovascular disease, you're at a higher risk. Of you know being harmed by COVID nineteen and you know God forbid like uh, you know someone like that gets infected I'm not saying they can't survive there have been cases of people that have survived that the odds were kind of stacked against them but you know here they are so number two what are vaccines so a little background vaccines prevent diseases that can be dangerous or deadly vaccines greatly reduce the risk of infection by working with the body's natural defenses to safely develop immunity to a disease. So in essence, they're biological substances that are designed to act either prophylactically, so prevent the onset of disease, which is mostly what we're gonna be talking about this episode, or therapeutically to fight a disease that has already occurred. The process of taking the vaccine, called vaccination, is well-established and an extremely effective method of preventing infectious disease by producing immunity. And we've had vaccines since before we really understood molecules. Like uh, the smallpox vaccine created in 1796 by Edward Jenner led to the eventual global eradication of smallpox by 1980. Polio, which sometimes led to permanent paralysis for the infected. And I've seen these things with my own eyes because I was around in the 80s and 90s. Cases of polio decreased more than 20 fold within a decade of introducing the polio vaccine in 1955. And I will tell you that many parents were tripping all over themselves back then to get their kid a polio vaccine because, again, I've seen it with my own eyes. In 1979, the U.S. was declared polio-free. So we, we effectively got rid of this disease. The measles vaccine was made available to the U.S. in 1963 and reported measles cases dropped to almost zero by the 80s. We have vaccines for diphtheria, meningitis, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, influenza, mumps, pertussis, pneumonia, rotavirus, rubella, tetanus, chickenpox. And we have vaccines for all of these, and opinions soon to be added to that list will be COVID-19. So how how are these vaccines produced? Okay, so starting from the inception of the vaccine, okay, so you're responding to a disease pandemic. so you don't make vaccines for diseases that haven't spread to quite a lot of people, right? It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't make sense to make vaccines for things that aren't problems, right? But say there's a pandemic like we're experiencing right now, companies will begin research at year zero. And I wanna say from year two to five or two to six, they will have a vaccine that's ready to be released to the public and then mass distributed um, that's the usual time anyway for pharmaceuticals to create a vaccine from beginning to end. The vaccine that we have right now, of course, is it's much less than that, it's under a year. And I think that's, personally, I think that's amazing. But um, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that. So there's first the preclinical testing phase where scientists come up with the idea or strategy at the cellular level uh, and then giving it to small animals like mice. And then phase one, two, and three, are pretty similar. Phase one is where the the candidate vaccine that's been tested as safe in animals is now tested on a small group of volunteers. And so it's the first time it's being encountered by humans, okay? And there's a lot of very careful monitoring here. Toxicology is done, seeing if it's stimulating the immune system, seeing if it's working, right? Uh, Looking at the side effects, if there's anything deleterious. So after that, phase two, which is basically, uh, giving the vaccine to more people. So hundreds, we'll say. These are all volunteers, of course. And again, close monitoring and evaluating every one of the volunteers. Phase three, you really start to get into larger populations, like tens of thousands or so. And uh, this will really tell you on a larger scale whether your vaccine is working or not. And if there are any uh, side effects that are much more rare that you would not see in a smaller population like phase two okay so phase three is very important that's phase three is usually where uh researchers take all of the data that they see here and they decide whether or not the vaccine should go to uh, limited or early approval submitting that to the fda and the fda is uh, you know one of the strictest ones in the world in my opinion and i think that's really good uh of course in recent times some corners have been cut so to speak um the vaccines being rushed you know because the pandemic is so bad people are unfortunately dying every day you know tens of thousands of them uh, all over the world so when you weigh things like that it's like ah you want the vaccine sooner rather than later and then there's the early or limited approval stage where it's released to first liners essential workers and maybe those people who are more susceptible to the disease like older or el- elderly or any of those other things i described before the final stage is full approval, where the regulators in that country basically say it's okay to distribute to everyone. And uh, I think that's kind of where we're at right now, between that and the early approval. So, so far as the vaccine production for the vaccine that Pfizer and BioNTech has made, phase two and three were kind of blended together. So they didn't get to as large of a population as you would have liked, because, I mean, it just takes time. Um, you have to give these vaccines to lots of people and then you wait because you have to wait for them to get infected by covid or not right and it's all random it's a double blind experiment so no one knows who got the placebo versus the actual thing um and that's how you test the efficacy at least with a as little bias as possible and uh you give it to the people who need it first and then everyone else gets it so everyone else meaning you know you're not a health worker or essential worker or you're not a high risk group so people like me, I, you know, we probably won't get the uh, vaccine available until halfway through next year or, or even the end of next year, because the issue of um, production and then distribution is also another hurdle that must be overcome. The, you know, you can't exactly like, okay, I made the vaccine and then make billions of it to distribute all over the world, right? Like between the beginning and the end of that sentence is months, years sometimes, um, and of course the difficulties with the vaccines themselves like does it have to be cold? How cold negative 80? Not a lot of pharmacies have negative 80s You know a lot of negative 80s are being purchased <laughs> a lot of dry ice is being purchased and I'm not surprised um, and then of course the, the Vaccines like how many doses do you need because sometimes you need to go back right after a year or two or three or five some vaccines give you lifelong immunization for the, um, for the COVID-19 vaccine, which I'll get into more detail, you need two doses. So if you hear a headline or read a headline that says one million doses being shipped, that means half of a million people are being completely immunized because you have to take two doses. you got to come back after a few weeks and take it again. And then that gives you a very high immunity, according to the phase three information from Pfizer and BioNTech. Okay, so the production of Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine. Is it too rushed? What do you think of it? So I kind of alluded to this already, where you gotta weigh the side effects of a vaccine versus the people that are suffering from the disease. Now, if you gave me both options, if, you know, the most common side effects that I saw in the uh, information being supplied from the phase three trials are uh, headaches, and fatigue and i think it's like 2% and 3.8% of the population respectively and that's not a lot i mean if you're talking about tens of thousands of people that's you know a fair amount of people but you know that's kind of makes sense right if your immune system is on and working you should expect a higher temperature maybe you feel a little more lethargic your joints might ache a bit and then it's gone after a day or two right that's just your immune system working that that's a good thing If you didn't feel that i would say that your immune system is not working i'm not a doctor but i'm sure you could figure this out by googling it right what your what your immune system does when it encounters a foreign substance so the vaccine's introducing to you like an easy target i suppose so that when you encounter the actual virus the immune system is ready for it so to speak Um, and it's able to overwhelm it pretty quickly now when you're talking about that versus we're rushing the vaccine out, will it harm people? You know, j- Just like any drug in the world, yeah, there's gonna be risks. There's gonna be side effects. There's always a percentage of some sort of, you- you're weighing one against the other. Like, for example, if you're gonna use your car, right? if you have a car, if you're in the United States and you have a car, likely um, it's because you're driving to work or something or to school. Now, if I told you that the likelihood of you getting into an accident and receiving bodily harm driving a car, which you do every single day, is significantly higher than harm from a vaccine, wouldn't you stop driving your car if you're worried about the vaccine, I mean? See what I'm saying here? If you're worried about the risk of being harmed by a vaccine, then you should stop driving your car. Because the risks of getting into a car accident are much higher than you being harmed by a vaccine. So when you look at it that way, you know there are risks. And that's one of them. One of the risks that we take every single day without even thinking about it. But they're way riskier than getting a vaccine. So when I said the FDA is allowing things to move more expediently, right? Like was a project... Light speed or warp speed, <laughs> probably warp speed. I don't think I don't believe Pfizer's participating in that. They didn't take any government assistance from that program. But that being said, yeah, you have to uh, have your workers go overtime, you have to get volunteers and get information back as quickly as possible and and then start uh, distributing it once it looks like okay people are becoming immunized and they're tolerating physically the uh, vaccine very well. If cutting corners led to some side effects, I'd have to see, I suppose, what those side effects are and, and, and how bad they are and how many. If the percentage is pretty low, and again, the worst I've seen is headaches uh, and fatigue. And I think more recently I read something like there was some nausea, vomiting. Like I would, I would really rather take that than risk my life with getting infected by COVID-19. I, honestly, like if you don't know what's going to happen to you, and it could react very differently to everyone. I've seen, or heard rather, uh, very healthy young people with no comorbidities. They're very healthy in every single sense, and they die from COVID-19. That's not the most common kind of person to die from it, because there are risk factors that increase your likelihood of being permanently affected by COVID-19. If you're older, you have a disease, you know, whatever. But the opposite can happen, you know. On the other side of that, I've seen you know old people with cardiovascular issues, and they survive COVID-19 like nothing happens. Almost nothing happens. So you know, again, you don't know. Like that's the part that I'm particularly uh, am aware of. So if that vaccine gets to me, I will likely take it because at that point, hundreds of thousands of people will have taken the vaccine already, and I can kind of you know, at my leisure, go through the internet look up the public data that has been released and just kind of go through it myself. So how long will I be immune after vaccination? Okay, so from this question, I have read some preliminary research and it's hard to say because how long has the vaccine been out? Like We we only have the information up until now, right? Uh, But so far, based on people who were infected and recovered from COVID-19, they had an immunity so far of at, at the very least six months okay so you know again the pandemic hasn't been happening for years it's only been within one year so we have to wait a little longer to see the um, how long the immunity lasts and that's from somebody recovering from it right if you got the vaccine how long does it last we, we don't know i i would hope it would be at least six months to a year you know something similar to our flu vaccines but yeah we don't, we don't know we just have to wait and see. Okay, question six. How do you test for COVID-19? Okay, so there are various methods for diagnosing whether or not you have COVID-19. So there's a PCR method, a polymerase chain reaction method, which is a very sensitive assay. It takes a long time now. <laughs> and they have to swab like the back of your throat. You know, that thing where they put it in your nose or through your mouth and they touch the back of your throat uh, nasal oral cavity and it's it's really difficult to stay still because your gag reflex just kicks in but they swab it and then they could uh, run that on a pcr machine and they can tell you within you know days i think if you are positive or negative keep in mind though those those results that come days later or weeks later they are telling you that as of the swab you are negative or positive if something has happened since then you don't know Right? You need to take another test if you want to know what happened in the last week. So keep that in mind. It can take days sometimes for symptoms to appear. And there's also a, like serological tests, which is usually like, um, I believe it's just drawing blood. They take a blood sample. And those kinds of tests, they're looking uh, at the antibodies instead of the virus. So those antibodies being present will tell you if you're immune to it or not. currently, Or at least have antibodies against COVID-19. Now, if if you take a serology test and it comes back negative, that just means like you have not encountered COVID-19 yet and you might want to take the vaccine, for example. If I find out that I'm positive, like my antibodies are present, that means I had COVID-19 at one point, but now I'm immune to it because I've recovered from COVID-19. So far as like vaccination, in spite of that, I mean, you know, I might do it anyway just because I want to play it safe. Then there's the kinds of tests, I think it's called like rapid tests that some clinical laboratories offer. And that is, uh, it's a test where you can get results back in as little as like 15 minutes notified via email. So unlike the PCR and serology test methods for diagnosing, the rapid test is performed on some very specialized instruments that were created by biotech companies specifically for COVID-19, or at least they're adapting some previous technology and applying it to COVID-19. These instruments tend to be expensive. They're hard to get. They're not mass manufactured quite yet. You know, sending kits out for various laboratories to test for COVID-19 can take time and money. Not every lab might have them. These platforms are essentially fluorescence-based or digitally-based immunoassays meaning that the instruments have been modified to look at SARS-CoV-2 antigens in nasal swabs. So SARS-CoV-2 is like the scientific way of saying COVID-19. And these platforms were given FDA emergency use authorization, so EUA. So if you hear me say EUA, that's what I mean. Emergency use authorization from the FDA in May of this year. And then the next one, does the vaccine cover the different strains of COVID-19? That we don't know yet either. There are mutated strains that I've read about in different parts of Europe, but we we don't know what the vaccine does in regards to that new strain because the vaccine hasn't been out long enough. The strain hasn't really perpetuated enough. The only concerning thing though, is that while this strain is different and so far as like the virulency of the virus doesn't seem to be worse, it doesn't seem to be more dangerous or anything, but according to some preliminary research, it does seem to spread more easily than the original COVID-19 strain. And if anything, that just says that social distancing and wearing a mask, staying inside, minimizing going out, interacting with other people, washing your hands, these things are more important than ever before. So how much more contagious is this new strain? I don't know. I don't, I don't have a number. I don't think researchers have a number. But you know it's one of those waiting games we had to sit down and find out. So far as the vaccine, though, researchers seem to say that they don't believe that there would be any difference to the vaccine. So uh, pharmaceutical companies, when they make the vaccine, they're targeting a piece of the virus, right? A small part. And um, the reason why they do that is because if you make antibodies against that piece of the virus, which doesn't do anything, right It's just, just a piece of the virus, you'll have antibodies in your blood. For that piece now when when your body is invaded by the actual virus the antibody recognizes that sequence of amino acids on the virus and neutralizes it right so you don't get any of the severe symptoms because your immune system is just right on top of it so far as this this trains though i'm hoping that they're looking at areas of the virus that do not mutate very quickly or at all there are some regions of the virus called the hyper variable regions which are parts of the virus where sequences change very rapidly as they evolve, as they replicate. Um, There are other regions, though, that are called non-variable or less variable regions that do not change very much at all. And those would be a little better in terms of making a vaccine that gives you long-lasting immunity. And you might be asking yourself, why aren't every vaccine created that way? Well, it's hard to target those low variable regions of the virus, just like physically speaking from a molecular standpoint. It's just very difficult to create something that attacks that part of the virus. So there's a little give and take here. And ideally, the vaccine that Pfizer and BioNTech and Moderna is releasing is that they're targeting a piece of the virus that does not change very much. So it won't matter the strain, all right? So the idea here is to be optimistic that the vaccine will cover different strains of COVID-19. Now, remember, immunity is on a continuum here. It's not like you have immunity or you don't. It's not zero over 100. It's a sliding scale, right? Maybe for the different strain, the COVID-19 immunity will give you a certain percentage of safety, right? Maybe you're 90% immune against the new strain, which is still way better than zero, right? I think I'd take that than zero, but these are all hand waving. I'm not sure. These are just based on what I've read very recently, and we'll only know for sure after more time has passed. Okay, so the next question, number eight are there reinfections? And are they worse than the initial infections? Okay, so to give you a short answer, there were reinfections. For the second question, are they worse? It's inconclusive. We don't know. So uh, in October, There was a case study that reported a 25 year old man with no known immune disorders in Nevada that was the first reported case of COVID-19 reinfection in the United States and the fifth case of reinfection worldwide. So there's not a lot, five in the whole world. And there's been uh, millions of like 61 and a half or something like that as of a few weeks ago million cases of COVID-19 in the world. So only five got reinfected, the reported ones anyway. The other four cases of reinfection were in Hong Kong, Belgium, the Netherlands, and Ecuador. The only United States case and the Ecuador case resulted in increased symptom severity during the patient's second infection. The US patient has recovered since. So for those two, the symptoms were worse The other three, Hong Kong, Belgium, Netherlands, they were not worse. They were either the same or less. So I hope that gives you an idea. It is interesting that the genome of the patient's virus samples from April and June, so in the initial infection and then the reinfection, they displayed genetic differences between them, kind of suggesting that this patient was infected again by a slightly different COVID-19 strain, but again, this is hand-waving. There has been no formal studies. It has not been confirmed. There's no peer-reviewed anything to read, okay? Just just some thinking out loud kind of stuff based on some very immediate and dirty kind of experiments. So take that as you will. So you might be thinking, where can I get more information about COVID-19 um, and the vaccines? I think the easiest answer here would just be, go to the CDC's website, cdc.gov. The moment you go there, there will be all sorts of information on the front page about it. So I would definitely look at that and, and just be careful about reading other sources, please. Don't believe just everything you read, okay? Especially if it's not like peer reviewable or, or confirmed by like thousands of other scientists. Okay, I don't I don't believe in so-and-so's blog that they're typing their opinions on the matter with no background in science at all. And it's anecdotal, all anecdotal evidence like based on their personal experience, which is really not a very good... If I was saying that there was a vaccine for COVID-19 and you asked me if it was safe and I said, oh, it was for me, but then I, I didn't try it on anyone else. Like, would you take it? Not really, right? If I didn't have a, a scientific company behind me with results that are publishable and replicable by other labs, I wouldn't take it. It doesn't look like you've proven anything at all. You're just saying so. So Go to cdc.gov for your information. So are the number of infections and deaths due to COVID-19 inflated? I'm not going to go very long into this one. Short answer, no. If anything, I think they're underinflated. Because remember, the the numbers we're getting are reported cases of COVID-19, right? I'm sure that there are cases that are not reported. That has to happen in the whole world. Like 7.8 7.8 billion people, do you really expect every single one of them to have successfully reported that they got the COVID-19? Trend? Like it's it's ridiculous. If anything, the number is under the actual number. And the the number of deaths, like I'm I'm not sure what to tell you. I don't know. Go to the hospital, look, look around, like see how many beds are being used. Hospital workers are being overworked. People only seem to believe the virus is real when they get it. Okay? So you know, I've, I've known people personally that have died, so I'm not sure what to tell them. You know, maybe it's one of those things that you have to experience for yourself, and that's really unfortunate because COVID-19 is really deadly. It's not like uh, you get into a fender bender in your car and you learn to be safer next time. If you get COVID, it's not like a fender bender. If you get COVID, there's a very real chance that, you know what I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. There could be some very permanent harm here. Next one, do you think COVID-19 is a man-made virus? So, so far as this one, I'm, I haven't been in the uh, virology field for as long as I would have liked to be able to conclusively say one way or another. I think even if I was in the field for like 30 years, it would still be very hard to tell. But from people that are smarter than me and their research and peer-reviewed published papers, people seem to think, no, it is not man-made it is a natural virus. There are, I guess, when they're looking into the sequence, there are uh, some things that they see that suggest that it's natural, like it was not man-made. If it was, it would look like this, so-and-so. I, I don't understand all the science. I haven't really read into it a lot. I just kind of read the abstract of these papers because I thought it was kind of silly that you know people would think that it's a man-made virus. Ugh. Anyway, moving on. Here's a myth or misunderstanding. We can achieve herd immunity by letting the virus spread through the population. Okay, so herd immunity is essentially when a large portion of a population becomes immune to a disease, so the spread from person to person isn't as uh, likely. So the whole community is protected when the majority are immune. The ones who are not immune, these are people usually that If they get infected, they will likely die, right? Or even if they take a vaccine, because their immune system is just compromised, right? They cannot tolerate, their body can't tolerate the vaccine, and their protection entirely relies on people around them getting the vaccine and being immune. And even if COVID-19 infection creates like a long-lasting immunity to COVID, the virus that causes COVID, a large number of people would have to become infected to reach herd immunity. So... Of the population in the uS, seventy percent of the u s you know if we were assuming 300 million or whatever it was, 210 million over 200 million people would have to get infected and then recover. Can you imagine how many people would die if you just let that happen? you know that 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 would be like worse than all the deaths up until now. you know I, I can't imagine like we, fu- funerals would be constant cemeteries would be so full, and hospitals would be swamped. We'd have to take nearby buildings and convert them to like temporary hospitals, and the economy would halt because no, one, no one's going to work. Everyone has lost someone, and they're all grieving. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, you would have million, millions of people dying. Millions. And so far, I have not seen the, most, the latest number, but so far the number of people that have died due to COVID-19, yeah, it's in the millions now. And, and this would kill a lot more. You know, it's not a good idea to think, just just let everyone get it, right? It would be be absolutely bonkers what would happen. So here's another one, another myth. Cold weather and the snow can kill COVID-19. My understanding of viruses, no, that's not how it works. Cold, if anything, preserves it, right? If you wanna keep RNA or DNA for a long time in a laboratory setting, you put it into something super cold, like negative 80 degrees or liquid nitrogen even at that point it won't last more than a few months it will eventually go away but that's how you extend its life cold does not kill viruses if anything you want something very hot but i mean you know you don't want to make it too hot like your body if your body gets too hot to make the to kill the virus it'll probably kill all your cells too you know weather doesn't really do anything so far as covid-19 is concerned can antibiotics prevent or treat covid-19 So here's the facts. Antibiotics treat against bacteria, not viruses. Hence, antibiotic, right? Bio meaning living, okay? Viruses, you can argue if they're alive or not. There's a lot of back and forth, but anyway, they treat against bacteria, not viruses. COVID-19 is caused by a virus, so antibiotics won't really do anything. If you're hospitalized and you get an antibiotic, when they diagnosed you with COVID-19, the reason why they're giving that to you is because your immune system is being attacked and you don't wanna get like an opportunistic bacterial infection while you're infected with COVID-19, which can totally happen and does happen. So a lot of the time they'll give you an antibiotic anyway, but it's not like that is preventing anything from COVID-19 from happening anyway. COVID-19 is no worse than the seasonal flu. Well, that's not true. I. <laughs> Flu has killed a lot of people in human history. Like, think of the Spanish flu. Like, mi- millions of people died. Millions. The amount of people that died in Europe, it took them like, uh, like, I don't know, 20 generations or something to get back to the original population number. It took forever to come back. It was just, it was so devastating. And even with the flu vaccines we have in modern days, correct me if I'm wrong, but thousands or tens of thousands of people still die in the United States in current years from the regular old flu. That's pretty dangerous. But COVID-19 has beat the flu several times over and it hasn't even been a year yet. It hasn't even been 1 year yet. Millions. So uh no, I wouldn't treat them the same. Absolutely not. <laughs> they uh, you know, this is much more serious. I mean, the the effects might be similar to the flu or flu-like or the way you prevent it is the same way of preventing spread of the flu, but so far as the, the danger of it, not really. Antiviral drugs exist for the regular flu, but there are no antivirals, at least approved ones, and available to treat for COVID-19. Fabric masks don't protect yourself or others from COVID-19. Also very, very, very wrong. There's a lot of research that shows that people who wear masks lack symptoms or are considered asymptomatic. There's a, that's a significant correlation. I know it's not causation, but if you had to pick wear one or not, it's not that big of a deal. Just put on the mask, especially when it comes to transmissions. So you don't know you're infected and you walk outside and you have a mask on. It'll prevent transmission to other people, right? Maybe you're asymptomatic, but you can still pass that on. And, and wearing this mask prevents the travel of the respiratory droplets, you know, the spit. and And of course, just keeping your distance. So those two things combined will very much lower the risk of you getting the disease, or more it's more for other people for you transmitting it to them. The next one: vitamin D supplements can prevent or even treat COVID-19. Uh, okay, so so far as vitamin D, there has been suggestions in the past that people with healthy amounts of vitamin D are healthy. I'm like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But I don't think vitamin D has like antiviral properties or antibacterial properties. It's part of your overall health, and healthy people resist disease better than non-healthy people, but that's about where it ends. Like, we don't have enough evidence, we haven't done enough experiments, or we're just not able to prove that vitamin D supplements can do something like that. If it did, COVID-19 would be solved, right? Already, just go to the store and buy vitamin D, and we're, we're done. But that obviously has not happened. It kind of reminds me of people who go on and on about gold and how important it is to put stocks into it and da da da. And I'm like, if you know so much, why aren't you rich right now? Like, why are you still talking to me? (laughs) Right? If you know so much about gold and making money off of gold. So it's one of those things like vitamin D supplements, they can help your overall health, but don't think of them as like a, like a cover all for COVID-19 or any kind of sickness. COVID, this one, this one, COVID-19 is an invented pandemic to cover up the effects of 5G radiation. Whoa, okay. 5G is a fifth generation mobile network being rolled out across the entire United States. And I guess there are some people in the world that believe 5G is really bad for you and all these people dying are due to 5G and not a virus. (laughs) So somehow I guess 5G is contagious and we're spreading it to other people and people that wear masks don't get infected by 5G? I don't know how that's supposed to work. I mean, I hear the word radiation used a lot, like it's the most horrible thing. But I mean, if you're talking about radiation, like any kind of radiation, electromagnetic radiation, gee whiz, you shouldn't turn on any lights. You should stay away from radios or anything that has any kind of electrical signal. Because it's all that's all considered radiation, right? Light is... Technically, on the radiation spectrum, it doesn't harm you. Radio waves don't harm you. right? Electromagnetic sensitivity, quote-unquote. I don't know if that's real. I don't believe that that's real. Wireless signals making people sick, I don't believe that's real. Or it hasn't been shown yet. I've seen uh, like blind experiments where they will put people with apparent self-proclaimed electromagnetic sensitivity into a room with a wireless router right and then when the when they plug it in the person says oh you know I got a headache now it you know hurts and then it's revealed afterward that it was not a wireless router there was nothing in it actually just a light like a little indicator green bulb and that's it they were getting pain from nothing they are making it up in their head like the pain may have been real to them but they're it's essentially in their head they're they're making it and that's really unfortunate. Right. I I don't want people to be in pain, but wouldn't that challenge your sense of electromagnetic sensitivity? Maybe you're just sensitive to things that may not be real. Okay, there has not been has not been shown to do anything. And trying to support those claims, it's always ends up being anecdotal about someone's personal experience. And if you feel better, you know, walking around in the dark far away from radio waves in the forest, then go, you know, go ahead. Like I'm not going to stop you. But don't don't spread that to other people and then they start neglecting things that are actually supposed to help you in favor of, you know, these these things. COVID-19 has been confirmed all over the world by different countries, different companies. Tens of thousands of people have died health workers interacting with the, with the virus, laboratories in, interacting with the virus, private and independent corporations. like So you're saying that we're all lying, like the whole world, for a US 5G rollout? Yeah, I don't believe it. COVID-19 tests are expensive. They're, they're not. COVID-19 is covered by the CARES Act and that act stipulates that the test should be performed at no cost to the patient. So, you can go to a place that they screen for COVID 19. They'll stick a, you know, do the cotton, uh, cotton swab thing, and then you'll get an email, I guess, or something like that you know, a few days later. That'll tell you if you're negative or not. Um, if you are billed, uh, insurance will cover it. And if you don't have an insurance, I don't think you would be held financially responsible anyway due to that act. I'm pretty sure that's the case. And if you're really having trouble, like, I don't know, I would just, just try to get it done anyway. This is a priority for your health and safety and the people around you. Okay, this is going to be the last one for now. Wearing a mask will increase the amount of carbon dioxide I breathe and will make me sick. So, let me start with carbon dioxide inhalation. Yes, it's true. If you inhale enough carbon dioxide, you will die. It's also true that if you inhale pure oxygen, and too much of it, I mean, you will die. If you inhale too much nitrogen, which is a majority of the air we breathe in the atmosphere of Earth, yes, you will die. If you drink water, too much of it, you'll die. If you don't drink enough water, you will die. Okay, you getting what I'm saying here? If you go to the extremes, everything's toxic. Okay, people think that I don't know, the carbon monoxide that you're exhaling is trapped inside. I mean, the mask is not like airtight. It's not like you're wearing a rebreather or some sort of diving equipment, where yeah, you need an oxygen tank, but that's not how this works. It's not, it's not airtight seal. And if, even if it did, don't you think surgeons would be falling over, like dying left and right? Because you know these people, they're, they're wearing masks for, for the entire thing, the entire surgery, which can take hours or, or days. Like why, why aren't they dying at an alarming rate, right? Or in, in any other profession that requires you to wear a mask, why aren't they dying? How come I see pictures of people who have like some serious cardiovascular issues or some sort of lung disease and they're wearing a mask just fine? I see people sprinting with the masks on, like jogging around here where I live, and they're doing fine. I, I, I don't need to go too far to figure out that that's fine. That's my own anecdotal experience. But again you can go online and just kind of prove to yourself that people have been wearing masks for so long and nothing has happened nothing in fact the reason why you're wearing a mask is to prevent something from happening so i could see where the concern came from inhaling carbon dioxide but it it does not there's there's zero chance of um, hypoxia here which is low oxygen it'll just move through the mask okay so I talked about a lot of myths and I do intend to do more of these. So the first part of the episode kind of clues you in about vaccines and COVID-19's nature. And then the next half are like myths and misconceptions. And I would love to do more. So feel free to you know send me either through Instagram or my email, some more myths that you would like me to investigate or look. At. I mean, I didn't investigate. Like these are just, these are things you can find on the CDC's website or the Mayo Clinic or the Who, right? The World Health Organization's website, and a lot of these are just common sense things that I can kind of answer without doing any background research. Anyway, before we wrap up, all right, I wanted to make this a once an episode where I talk about at least one Bible verse. So toward the end, I will just talk about a verse that I found, you know, very briefly. I'm I'm not going to go so far as to uh, create a story out of it, but you know, I think we can all agree on what this verse says. So this is First John, chapter two verses 3 through 6. So it's verse 3 through 6. Verse 6, though, is the one that I want you to kind of pay attention to. So for the New King James Version, now by this we know that we know him, capital H, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. So we could take this to mean like, if you're gonna say you are a follower of God in Christ, then you should behave like they would like you to. It's, it's very easy to say I'm a Christian, especially nowadays, but your actions don't speak to it. I mean, you know, God will see through that. It's very easy. You might trick people around you, but God can see right through that. He could look right into your mind and your heart. doesn't matter how hard you try to hide it. Your intentions will always be plain and made bare before him. So if you are saying you are abiding by God, then you should abide by his commandments. It's pretty black and white, right? So that's the end of the episode. I am Joshua Sturba, and i got to run out the door to tell people a quote that I heard from a wise professor. No matter how popular they get, antibiotics will never go viral. Don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram at joshua.inc.ok and on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any more questions, feel free to reach me on IG. If you want a shout out, please leave a comment on my latest IG post. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Acts of 20, Love and Fate. And you can hear more of my nonsense next time.